Hi, this is the Work-Related Podcast. I'm Liz Ryan, and this is Episode 8. We're talking about the world of work, which is going through momentous changes, and we're trying to figure out how to deal with those changes and what, what can we do to manage our own careers and run our companies in a more human way. That's our mission at our company, Human Workplace, is to reinvent work for people. So we got some things to talk about today. The big one is stories. I wrote about this on LinkedIn in our newsletter this week. Storytelling is the key, in my opinion, the key to getting um, getting the power out of your career, your history, and bringing that out to other people who don't know you. We call that sometimes branding. People don't like that term when it's applied to people. Ew, people don't, personal branding, Liz, I, I don't like that. I'm not a jar of ketchup. I understand that. We don't want to brand ourselves like a product, but for the benefit of someone who doesn't know you, branding is it's essential. They're going to learn something about you when they encounter you at a job interview or on the job or on LinkedIn or whatever. And so the question is, what do you want to say about yourself in those situations? And for me, the most powerful thing you can say about yourself is to tell a bit of your story. Maybe not a 100,000 word you know, autobiography, but what you've been doing, what you want to do, and a little bit about why. And then when you talk about your past jobs in your resume, in your LinkedIn profile, or in a job interview, storytelling is, again, everything. We were taught to say, at least I was taught to say in a resume, I have two years of experience with this programming language. I have four years of experience with this piece of software. What do we get out of that? Two years, four years? In this knowledge economy, the knowledge work that we do today, it's much more important what you did with the software, what you did with the programming language, what you did on the job. And when you tell stories, when you tell stories, you not only get across what you did, but why, and you also get across the context, why you found it appropriate to do whatever you did and how that helped the situation. So storytelling shows so much about you and your perspective and how your brain works. It's, it's far more powerful than dry facts. That even if you said, I increased sales 20%, that's kind of empty. Well, what were they $2 and you increase them to $2.40, right? People don't, they can't follow unless they have the context. And that's how you get the context across is in a story. So storytelling in your resume, in your LinkedIn profile, on job interviews, and storytelling to yourself, telling yourself your career story, reclaiming the power in it. This is the best the best advice I can give you when you're feeling down or you're feeling unsuccessful, when you're feeling really bad about yourself, listen, it happens. I remember a particular massive drop in confidence and self-esteem that I experienced about 20 years ago. I've had a bunch of them, but this is the one that really sticks with me because I could not remember having felt successful. When I felt down on myself, I was really down on myself. I'm stupid. I'm worthless. All this stuff. I couldn't remember feeling good about myself. 
I thought maybe it was delusional. I should not have felt good when I felt good. I was confused. I was embarrassed. When you're embarrassed in front of yourself, then it's like, wow, you know. And it took writing down the things that I had done successfully and also surrounding myself as much as possible with people who could shake me out of it and say, are you kidding? You did this and you did that. Oh, I guess. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Slowly, slowly, my fuel tank got refilled and I started to get back to my equilibrium. But when you're in that down place, having your stories and having written them down and being able to recapture them, reclaim them and get the power in them is a really important thing. And when you're feeling really good about yourself, grab those stories. You have so many stories. All the resume writing workshops I've given in, in, in uh, auditoriums and in, at universities and all over the place, I always say, get your stories, capture your stories because they're incredibly important for you and for people who don't know you. And I'm talking about stories about when you saved the day at work, stories about when you improved a process or taught someone how to do something or fixed a problem or helped a customer. I know you have these stories, but we don't tend to think about our stories at work because we tend to think, well, you know, I have this many years of experience and I'm certified in that. Here's the thing about certifications. God bless certifications. They're important for technical skills and so on. But the certification doesn't say that you actually went out and did the thing. So you got certified. That's really good. I wish employers would put more weight on what we did with our certifications than actually having achieved the certification itself, especially because in many cases you can achieve a lot without getting the certification. So we're just oriented kind of the wrong way, but I want you to be oriented the right way. And that's why I'm talking about storytelling right now. When you go on a job interview, they don't even have to ask you a story type question like, tell me about a time when you blah, blah, blah. You can volunteer a story when they don't use that question format and they say, so what do you know about PowerPoint? Oh, well, you know what? I didn't know PowerPoint. I learned PowerPoint when I had to create a PowerPoint presentation for this blah, blah, blah situation. And I taught myself, it's actually pretty easy to learn on the fly. It took me a few days, but I made a killer presentation and I delivered it. Actually, the first time I'd ever delivered a presentation in public. So I'll never forget about that, right? Stories. When I ask, people preparing to go on job interviews, to tell me stories, to practice. A lot of the time they say, oh, I did that so many times. I say, well, stop and think about a specific time. And they say, well, they all mush together. I say, okay, take the time right now. We have time. Tell me a specific story. See the room. Remember how you felt. Remember what you said. And cultivating that ability to claim our stories, even in the moment while they are transpiring, and have them and write about them and talk about them later, that's an incredible career skill. The big story, of course, your career story from start to right now is the best story of all. How you wended your way through this world to get to where you are. I don't want you ever to be embarrassed or feel bad about your story because you didn't make any mistakes. Every step you took was the right step to take at that moment, right? I want you to get the power in your story. It's a great, great thing, both in terms of being successful by whatever measure, 
in the world, but also feeling good about yourself, which at the end of the day is the goal. All right. So here's an assignment for you. I want you to get a notebook or a journal and start writing down your stories. Just enough detail so that you'll remember it later. You don't have to write out the whole story now. If you want to, go for it. But you can just say that time where I was in that airport and I had to help these people solve this problem from the airport. Sitting on the floor, actually, because all the planes were stuck or they weren't flying and I was sitting on the floor because that was the only place to sit. Get the story in your mind. And then another one. And another one. Get your stories. We call them dragon slaying stories. Times when you showed up and you did the thing and you made a difference. That's what you want to have close at hand and in your head and in your heart. When you're writing your resume, when you're working on your LinkedIn profile, when you're looking at job ads and when you're on a job interview. Okay? Okay. Do it. Rock on. Here's a question to answer. Hi, Liz. I'm an HR manager. We interviewed an excellent candidate and we have two different managers who would both like to hire this person. I like to leave that decision up to the candidate, but I know the candidate is going to ask me what each of these two jobs pays and I don't want to create an internal bidding war. I don't want to let the managers offer more money just to get the candidate on board, considering that both offers come from the same company. What do you recommend? That's a really good question, and this happens a lot. Here's a rule of thumb that will help you in a situation like that. You say that you have two managers who are competing with one another, but that's not really accurate. Both managers who want to hire this particular candidate are competing with the rest of the world. If you want your company to get this candidate, then you've got to compete with the rest of the world that is also presumably interested in hiring somebody with the same skills. So sit down and talk to the two managers and say, look, both of you want to hire this candidate and that's great. I certainly, as the HR manager, I want to get this candidate on board. What do you have in your budget? What is reasonable to pay for this kind of job? My concern now as HR manager is internal equity. We got to make sure whatever we offer this candidate does not put us in a bad position vis-a-vis people who already work here. But let's come up with this and and see um, what it makes sense to offer. Um, And then I, the HR manager, will get on the phone with the with the uh, candidate and I'll let them know we have two managers that would love to have you on board what is your preference if the money is the same then they're deciding based on the job description and how well they resonated with the manager and so on if the money is different then it's different that's the real world what you're not going to do is tell these managers you have to offer the same amount of money to the candidate because that's not real world that's not how things work Some jobs pay more than other jobs, and some jobs pay more than other jobs situationally at a point in time where a company is really going to be in a bad way if they don't get those skills on board. So what we're always trying to do is lower the wall or eliminate the wall between what we're doing internally and what the rest of the marketplace is doing. That's why it doesn't make sense to have a policy that says you can only get an average of 2.75% in your 
in your annual pay increase. Well, that's not what the world is doing. Now you're putting your own company in a in a bad position because you're opening up room for some other company to come in and grab your best employees because they're underpaid relative to the market, right? The policy has to take a backseat to reality. It's the same reason that I want you to get rid of a policy, any policies still lingering on out there that say that your manager gets to approve your internal transfer. Why? In the real world, you can go across the street and get another job, and that's how reality tells you what your policies need to be. You create a policy where a manager who wants to keep you can block you from transferring, the person will just leave, right? That's dumb. So we're gonna try to stay as close to reality and the real talent market as we can That means whatever these managers can afford to pay, if they want to pay it, it's their budget. It's really up to them. And if there is a difference in the pay level between the two job offers that your company would consider offering this this, uh, candidate, so be it, right? It's one factor. It's not the only factor, I'm sure, the candidate will look at, but it certainly is one. And again, it's reality. So I would not worry so much about an internal bidding war right? Your company certainly engages at times in bidding wars with the outside world. And by the way, that's appropriate because <laughs> you have to you have to know what other people are doing and you have to respond to it. Okay. Good for you. I'm glad you're looking at this stuff. Internal equity, as you said, is terribly, terribly important. And we're always trying to, to think situationally and make the right decision. Okay. Hi, Liz. Another question. Hi, Liz. We do an annual employee engagement survey, a confidential survey, and we're thinking about abolishing it. We've gotten lots of feedback on this topic from our employees, and I also take seriously your advice that there are better ways to listen to employees than through an annual survey. However, we have some pushback on the idea of eliminating the survey because people say it is an important way for us to hear about rogue managers who are doing things they should not be doing. How do you respond to that? Okay, that's a really good question. What about the idea of a supposedly confidential employee engagement survey as a means of hearing about management malfeasance, management misdeeds, wrongdoing, right? Here's the thing. If you, if you, if you, God forbid, if a manager did something horrible and your company got sued and the complainant, the employee who decided to sue the company hired an attorney, which they would have to do probably. And that attorney hired me to be an expert witness on the case. I've done some of those projects before. I would rip you to shreds. And I would not want to do this. I hope none of this comes to pass, obviously. But I would rip you to shreds over the idea that you were using a once a year so-called confidential employee survey to find out about management wrongdoing, because it's a horrible way to do that. It's very ineffective. There are way better ways to find out about managerial wrongdoing than a once a year survey. And here's the thing. This is what I would say to you in this imaginary unhoped for situation, right? I would say, so the way that you find out about management misdeeds is through a survey that is confidential supposedly, but it's not confidential in the aggregate. 
As we used to say, one of my old employers, if it's unanimous, it's not confidential. There's no safety in numbers there, right? So in other words, the managers still get to see the survey results. They just see them in the aggregate. So if the manager is, let's say, God forbid, sexually harassing one employee, you think that one employee is going to say, I'm being sexually harassed by my manager in a survey that the manager is going to see? Are they going to feel safe doing that? No one would. So it's a horrible way to report managerial misconduct. There are better ways, and they are easy to install and implement, better ways to hear about managerial problems and, and, and misconduct, like a confidential hotline, like a really open door to HR or every other manager in the company, including the bad manager's manager, which is actually a way better way to take the pulse and understand how people are feeling than a confidential survey that most people don't believe is confidential. I mean, I just mentioned it's really not confidential if the manager gets the feedback in any form, right? There's got to be feedback that is safe. And it could be a confidential hotline. It could be a designated person in HR, but it's so easy to have every other manager, all managers in the company, be available and work on creating enough trust that if, God forbid, their manager did something they shouldn't, that other manager would hear about it. The skip level, the, your manager's manager, they need to have enough involvement with the teams under them and under their subordinate managers so that it's easy to tell the bigger boss when something goes wrong. And if we're not doing that, we need to start because a once-a-year survey is obviously not a way to learn about managerial misdeeds. Imagine sitting in that deposition, and I'm saying, so once a year, employees get to report sexual harassment or discrimination or other problems once a year through a not very confidential survey, that's your answer? See what I'm saying? I don't want to be in that room. <laughs> I don't want you in that room. Drop the survey and put in better ways, 365 days a year ways, for employees to be able to talk about bad things that might happen at work. Okay? All right. We're going to wrap up the podcast with just a couple of notes. One is I am teaching a small group of awesome people how to become career coaches and launch and grow their own coaching businesses with my help and teach my curriculum. And if you have ever thought about becoming a career coach, I would love to talk to you about it. So just get a hold of us. Our email is support at humanworkplace.com and I would love to talk to you about becoming a career coach and stepping into your power in an entrepreneurial way either part-time alongside your current job or full-time and then we have coaches who are finishing our program and they are working with clients right now you can find a career coach at humanworkplace.com directory these coaches have worked with me and they teach our methods and they can help you brand yourself, decide what kind of job you want, set your salary target, reach out to employers, prepare for interviews, interview with confidence and get the job you deserve. And with that, I will let you go. Have a fantastic rest of the week and I'll see you soon.